Revelation chapter 11. Um, let's just read through it real quick here. Um, how about this? We, we switch off. So um, I'll read. I'm my glasses. <laughs> yeah, you should probably have your glasses either way. She can see, she just can't see. She can see, but she can't just be. She can see, but she can't be. She can see, but she can't see. She can see, but she can't B or D or A. Or E or F. Sorry. Okay. Um, and there was given me a read. What are we going to do? Every other verse? Uh, yeah, so no, I'll, I'll tell you. Oh. I'll just tell you. And there was given me a read like unto a rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out, and, and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Um, and then you want to read verse 3? And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Clothed in sackcloth. And verse 4 as well. <laughs> I don't understand any of that. <clears throat> um, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. You think that was complicated? Wait until we continue on with this. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. Verse 10, you want to read that? And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelleth on the earth. Which is really funny to me that, I'll explain it later, but this that verse is funny to me. That's not funny, but it's but it's funny. Verse 11, And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Um, and they, ha they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour was uh, there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Um, verse 15, you want to read that? And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world are become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, 
We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Verse 19. And the temple of God was open in heaven, and there was and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightning and voices and thundering and earthquake and great hail. Okay, so obviously there's there's quite a bit of, of symbolism in, in this particular um, chapter here. Is there any questions before we before we really dive into it here? I don't know. I didn't have. I, I literally. I spent like an hour rushing through uh, my notes here. Um, it was very textbook. I mean, I tried to, to add, you know, as much as I could as far as uh, um, personal use. Um, but for the most part, it's very textbook uh, applica application understanding of this particular chapter. So I might not answer the questions that you have. I'll try my best. But um, anyway, let's let's just read through it again. I guess uh, verses one and two. It says, and there was given me, speaking to John, obviously John is the writer of Revelation, we already know that. Um, so some, some, somebody, the, the angel, gave John a reed like unto a rod. This, this rod or this reed is, is, was used for measuring. Um, and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. In verse 2, it says, But the court which is without or outside of the temple, leave out. Don't measure that, and measure it not. For it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months, 42 months in total. Uh, so there are people who believe this temple will be a rebuilding of the old Jewish temple in Jerusalem that was, that's been destroyed. Um, it's, it no longer exists because, you know, there's been wars and all sorts of different things that have happened, and it's been destroyed. But this temple uh, will be where the Antichrist will take his seat and act as if he were God. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.4, Paul says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's acting as if he is actually God when he's, he's not. He's just a phony. He's just faking it. But... The people will fall for it, and that's the most important thing for him is that everyone else will fall for it, even though he knows that he's not God. Some others believe that this temple would represent a symbol for believers. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17, it says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall, shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple are ye, or ye are? Um, 1 Peter 2.4 also speaks about this, is to, to whom coming as unto a lively or a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also, we are also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Um, wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. We are built upon that cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. And he that buildeth or believeth on him shall be shall not be confounded. 
Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which, is, which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient. So those that, that don't believe in Jesus, they, the, the cornerstone, Jesus being the cornerstone, will stumble over Jesus, uh, whereas those that do believe in Jesus will build their, their, their house, they'll build their temple on the cornerstone, which is Christ. Um, so, it, I mean, either way, I think it could work. Um, I, I honestly, I truly believe it's going to be, and I, I, I don't know this for sure, but I believe it's going to be an actual temple. I think it's going to be a rebuilding of God's temple. Um, I think that's, I mean, that, what other way would, would, would Satan, you know, really pronounce himself? And, and I have a few reasons I believe that, and we'll get into that in a second, but I believe that, that Satan would really, uh, that's, that's like the ultimate way to blaspheme God, to build his temple in the same exact spot that his temple was built, and then to sit on his throne acting as if he was, he was God in the flesh, or as God is in, 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 pre in their presence. Even in Revelation 3.12, it says, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Uh, or Revelation 21.22, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Uh, so whatever the case may be, John is specifically instructed to not just measure the sanctuary and altar. Those those were specific instructions to John. You have to measure these things, measure the, the house of the Lord, measure the altar. But he was also instructed to measure the people worshiping. He had to measure the people that were going to worship in that temple. Uh, I've heard the saying, and I'm sure you've heard it a million times, measure twice, cut once. That's ingrained into my brain at this point. There's no way I can forget that. I've, I lived by that for so long. And at this point, whenever I co it comes to a, a project of any, of any kind, that is, that is my go-to phrase, measure twice, cut once. And that's the reason for that is because if you, if you measure once and you, you can't cut twice, you, only, you can only cut too short one time and then that's it. You're, you're pretty much done for. I don't know if you've ever made that mistake. I've measured twice and cut once and still been completely off because I did the measurement wrong twice. I don't know if you, have you made that mistake? I've made that mistake too many times to count. And so because of that, there's nothing you can do but throw out what, what you're trying to make <laughs> and waste money and start new. Um, but that's, sometimes that's the way in which God works. He shows us our need for a proper measurement and cuts so that we're shaped exactly for his need and purpose, but he doesn't make the mistake on his measurements. He only needs to measure once and cut once, and that's it. John is also instructed not to measure the outside of the temple because it will be given over to the nations. Jesus speaks about this in Luke, in Luke 21, 24, he says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trotted down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And then in Daniel 8.13, he speaks about it. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation, to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? So this, this is a picture of, of what is going to happen during that time in regards to why John is not going to measure, because the outside of the temple is not going to, to matter because it's, it's, it's given over to the world anyway. It's going to be destroyed. Whereas this temple, this temple is going to stand for a time. Um, there's a lot of calculations of time here, and I'm not going to spend too much time uh, time and I'm not going to give too many details with it, but they are represented throughout the Bible as lining up to the actual events 
that are going to occur here, uh, which proves the authenticity of the, the God's of God's prophecies. Um, it, it, it speaks about um, in, in these verses that um, it will be 40 and two months in verse two. And then also in, in verse three, it says there's there's going to be uh, 1,260 days, uh, which 1,260 days is equivalent to 30, 42 months. Um, so that's, I mean, they're, they're using the same number here. In a Jewish calendar, uh, which is 30 days per month, it equals exactly um, 1,260 days. So three score means 60? Three score, um, so, so when it says 2,000, uh, or two, yeah, two, two, or 1,200 and three score, yeah, it means 60. And, and that three score is like, uh, like an old, old English saying of... Uh, um, measurement or time three yeah they use they use More score scores, in those <laughs> no i don't remember i don't know how the math works in, in scores <laughs> that's why i don't we don't do that anymore because it's confusing why don't we just say what the number is so yeah it's 1260 which if you did it in, in our own calendars it's about 1274 four is um 42 months which is three and a half years let's just put it that way it's about three and a half years um that that this will take place for um that 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 uh the um holy city shall be tread underfoot for for three and a half years um and then verse three says and i will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand a thousand two hundred and three score days which is the three and a half years clothed in sackcloth some people believe that these two witnesses um are angels i don't think that's going to be the case i think they're going to be regular people they're going to well i mean regular people in the sense that they're going to be people like they're going to be humans um some people believe that it's it's the two that were um uh translated were taken up into into heaven like um enoch one day, God was just walking with Enoch, and he, he loved the company of Enoch so much that he just took him into heaven, and that was it. It was the last time he was he, didn't, he never saw death. He just was taken into heaven. Um, and same thing with Elijah, who was taken into heaven um, suddenly. And those two were the only two, aside from Jesus, who were taken into heaven without seeing death. Um, so some people believe that the two witness, those two witnesses will be those two uh, from the Old Testament. And spoiler alert, we've already read it. But they die, so so they will see death. I don't believe it will be them. Um, I have a few reasons for that, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get too deep into it. And if you want to know it really badly, we can talk about it after. But um, I think I think it will just be two humans that that God gives power to um, that will will preach this. And in Daniel seven um, chapter seven verse twenty five it says, and he shall speak great words against the Most High. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times, and the dividing of time. And, and then also Daniel twelve seven it says, And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times and a half. Which could be translated roughly to three and a half years, if you'd like. But um, and when he has, uh, when he shall have uh, accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. Um, so he's he's really Daniel is really giving this this inclination of what is going to happen, and then John is is giving the picture 
of what Daniel had said before in regards to this prophecy of the, of the end times. So there's going to be two witnesses that are going to preach the gospel to the entire world, and these people are going to hear it for three and a half years. God has always made it relevant to require two witnesses to confirm or guarantee testimonies. He's always talked about how we need two or more witnesses. In Deuteronomy 19.15, it says, One witness shall not rise up against a man for iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. It's always good to have somebody else that, that is there and sees you and knows exactly what is going on. And even Matthew 18.16 but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. When it comes especially to spiritual matters, you need more than just one witness, one more than just one person saying, this is the issue, I know this is the issue, therefore we must condemn this person because this is the issue. No, we need two people to clarify that. And not only that, we also need two people to be able to be graceful and caring in that, in that situation. Now, in this particular instance, we're not talking really about grace and, and correction as much as we're talking about preaching and, and repentance. Um, sackcloth, they're going to be wearing sackcloth, is, is also a very biblical sign of repentance. This is throughout the Bible as well, and I have a few verses that, that label this. Isaiah 37.1 says, And it came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna and the scribe, and the elders of the priests covered with sackcloth until Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. Uh, Jonah 3.5, Oh, the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Uh, Matthew 11.21, Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Uh, Chor Chor Chorazin? I don't know how to pronounce it. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you uh, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. This is not a relevant thing we do today. <laughs> Many of us don't wear sackcloth. What is that? Um, it's it's like uh, you know like bag? yeah like like those bags that they use um, for for something like that. Um, but they that and that was like the lowest kind of clothing that you could get. It's probably still the lowest kind of clothing you can get um, today. But back in those days, it was like you were like a beggar. If you were wearing that kind of clothes, you you were probably a beggar. You didn't have enough money to to really afford good clothes. Um, so they would put on sackcloth to demonstrate their humbleness to, before the Lord, that they, they didn't deserve better clothes. Um, though in some cultures, even still today, they do practice this still, but um, they would also pour ashes on their head as a sign of distress. They would pick up um, even sometimes dirt, and they would pour it on their head, um, or they would sometimes rip their clothes. It says rent their clothes when they were upset. I'm sure maybe there's been a time in your life as well when you're just so... You're so upset and you're so hurt and maybe you're crying and you get to a point where you just you just you paw at your clothes you just feel like you just want to rip rip something in half and um, that's kind of how they felt before the Lord they felt they felt like they needed to just they were just so undone with themselves that they just needed to 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 come in desperation to God and because of the way the world will be at this point in Revelation these two witnesses will be a sign of the difficulties during that time that the sackcloth that they wear will demonstrate the desperation um, that, that the world is at. And that's why they're going to be wearing the sackcloth. And verse 4 says, These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Once again, a little bit of a sign of, of, of uh, prophecy, of symbolism. 
Uh, John has been shown several objects since the beginning of this book, in case you don't remember, as rep representations of the Old Testament prophecies, as well as symbols of God's holiness with the seven candlesticks and the seven stars and all that kind of stuff in the, in the previous chapters. These descriptions here are no ex exceptions. Uh, the two olive trees um, comment here would likely represent the same vision in Zechariah's uh, prophecy as the two anointed ones in Zechariah chapter 4. Verse 11 says, then, I, then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And then in verse 14, it says, Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Um, so this is kind of fulfilling that prophecy as well. One was symbolized as a royal leader to rebuild God's temple in Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 to 10. Um, which says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, cryings, grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you, for who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice, and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. And then the other is supposed to symbolize as a high priest uh, who would lead worship in the temple. In Ze Zechariah chapter 3, and verses 1 to 5, it says, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord hath, that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he, um, he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair uh, might uh, meter uh, upon his head. So they set a fair meter upon his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. So this gives us, in, in these particular verses, gives us uh, solidity in everyone who would be saved as represented by the Lamb to serve as priests and rule as kings, as promised in, in Revelation 1.6, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He made us priests and kings. Revelation 5.10, and hath made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. It's not, it's not just a select few people who get to become priests or, or kings. It's not just a, 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 a certain kind of holiness that people have to reach in order to become a priest or a king. It's because of Jesus, and it's because of what he set before us and his promises that he fulfilled through his life and then his death that we get to become kings and priests, especially as the world comes to an end. And then verses 5 to 6 says, that If any man who will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as oft as they will. Um, and it might it might help as well to read, um, you know, other translations 
in particular if there's like if you're ever caught up in a different or a difficult you know bible verse where you're not quite sure which right here i have an esv version um and first for, so verses um five five to six in in esv it says and if anyone would harm them so it's not just you know it's not just hurting them but it's it's harming them in in the sense of of trying to to uh, go against them um, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes um, this is to insinuate that that their their preaching is is, is fiery their what they're saying is fiery if anyone would harm them this is how he is doomed to be killed so he won't be killed by these prophets specifically but because of the way that that they're they're harming him this is the way they're going to be killed in verse six they have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying and they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Um, so it, it gives a little more clarity of what these, these two witnesses are, are capable of doing. So the two witnesses will be hellfire preachers like we've never seen before. I, I, we often think that many hellfire preachers are, are very callous and judgmental. And no doubt most of them probably are. In fact, most of them are, are are pretty callous and judgmental. But these two witnesses will be far lively, far more lively than most preachers today. This also displays the grace and mercy of God. If you look at this, God continues to allow chance after chance for salvation and warning. Yet at this point in time, during during the end of everything as we know it, people will still reject God's message. These people are literally warning them of the things to come. And people will still reject it. They will, they will warn about drought like Elijah did in 1 Kings 17.1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Um, and they will turn water into blood like Moses in Exodus 7.14-25. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, I think we all know the story of how, how Moses turned the, the, the water into, into blood. Um, so that they couldn't drink it. Anyway, these these two witnesses will have that kind of power, and they will they will let it be known if if they don't repent, if they don't turn, if they don't trust in Christ today, that this will be it. And of course, they knew that this wouldn't happen, and they'll be doing this for three and a half years, preaching this same exact message over and over and over again, and yet no one will accept it. And then verses seven to ten. This is when they shall have finished their testimony. The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half. So they'll be dead for three and a half days and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. In other words, they're just going to leave the dead bodies on the street for everyone to see and for everyone to, to walk by. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them <clears throat> and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So these people, these, these witnesses, are going to preach the gospel for three and a half years. They're going to preach about hellfire and about judgment and about the, the things that they're about to face. And instead of these other people listening and, 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 and believing what's being said, they will decide rather to just kill them, and specifically the devil will kill them. And uh, um, 
then they'll, re they'll rejoice. They'll be happy about it. And they'll send each other gifts because it's, it's so great to see that they're, they're these people, because they're dead now and they don't have to listen to it anymore, um, just because they were of what they were doing and they were feeling tortured because of it. Uh, this great city um, is known as, spiritually, as it says here, Sodom and Egypt, will, which will be referenced to what will be known as Babylon, which stands for Rome, um, so this, this Sodom title is given because of the original Sodom, which was known for its sinfulness and rebellion. So during this time, the, the city will be given to that exact same kind of mentality, the sinfulness and rebellion that Sodom experienced. Egypt is titled here because it was also known for its persecuting against God's people. Um, and, and certainly, this will be a city that is really just adept and, and grounded in the idea of of killing and persecuting anybody that claims themselves to be Christians. We get a pretty apt description of where Christians stand at this point in time in history. Um, there won't be any room for them, obviously. In fact, uh, D.L. Moody said, don't flatter yourselves, my dear friends, that the world is going to be better and better. The world has not gotten better. And that's tr that was during D.L. Moody's times in the 1800s. The world's still not gotten better. It's just going to get worse. And we know that at that point in time, when they're killing Christians on the streets because of their viewpoints and just leaving them to, for dead because of their preaching, um, there's there's no hope for humanity at that point. It will more than likely be frowned upon to call yourself a Christian. And many will have died because of it, which is why there won't be any found on the earth that will turn to Christianity. And then verses 11 to 14. Doc's here. 11 to 14, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. So they think they have one over on these on these witnesses, and then all of a sudden the witnesses come back to life, and they're like, ah, oh, no, why is this happening? Can't be. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Some have the belief that the two witnesses will symbolize the church, which gives a picture of resurrection. In Ezekiel 37.10, it says, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. In Daniel 7.13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, came to the ancient, ancients of days, and they brought him near before him. Uh, even if they are two individuals, which, which I believe is the case, I think there will be literally two witnesses, then we see the miraculous resurrection of God's witnesses. This, as, as they are taken up into heaven, will be the last chance the world ever gets for salvation again. No more chances. This is a seriously scary thought because they will have had chance after chance, and yet they will continue to reject every opportunity they get, leaving themselves with no other options. Which leads us to verses 15 to 18, which says, And the seventh angel sounded, the last trumpet. We've been waiting for this trumpet to sound, and now it finally does. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, 
We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. We've touched on pre-tribulation and post-tribulation rapture quite often already, and I, and I couldn't tell you which one will stand firm. I'm not going to pretend like I, you know, I know for a fact that, you know, we're going to be raptured up before the tribulation or we're going to be raptured up after the tribulation. Though either way, I know we are saved from the wrath to come. As Romans 5, 9 says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Even 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, Paul says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. But this does give some assumption that the second return of Christ will happen at this moment during the seventh trumpet call, the last trumpet. This is the last that will be sounded. Christ will come and judge the dead, as Revelation 21 or 20, verses 11 to 13. And I saw a great white throne in him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, and small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in it, and they were judged every man according to their works. You look at that, that verse, it's interesting. It says, even death and hell are delivered up from the dead. I believe that that when when you die without Christ, you're going to be facing God to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So we're going to be facing God in judgment. He's going to tell you every sin that you've ever committed and the fact that you never turned to Christ, never trusted in his gift, and then he's going to send you to hell. And then once Christ returns, he brings everyone back up from hell for a time, a short time of alleviation reiterating those things that they have already done, sending them back for all of eternity, never to come back out again. That will be that will be it. That will be the final judgment. Um, but this is also the time he will reward his servants. In Revelation... You are saved. It's looking to tell you all your sins. No. When you're saved, he tells you all the things that you did through Christ. Your sins are as far as the east is from the west. They've been blotted out. He cannot see your sins. That's why Christ died. Think of it this way. The blood of Jesus Christ makes it impossible for God to see your sins. So Satan can say, well, you've done this, and, and you might even talk to God. God, you, you know that, that, you know, you know that Denise has, has done this and said this and has thought about this. You know she's a sinner. She deserves hell. And God will, and Jesus will stand there and say, but Lord, look at my hands. Look at my feet. I have died for her. And Jesus' word will always come forth stronger than Satan's word, of course. The point of the matter is, is God no longer sees your sins when you accept Jesus Christ. And that's the whole point of salvation. So whosoever shall call upon my name shall be saved. And that's all that matters. And actually, there's biblical application for that, too. There's a few Bible verses which speaks about the things that will be judged by. Those that are without Christ will be judged by their sins. Those that are with Christ will be judged by their works, by their actions, the things that they did through Christ. But I'm not going to get into that right now either. But the point is, 
we will not be judged by our sins. We will be judged by our righteousness, our what we did with our life after we were saved. And if we didn't do anything after we were saved, then there's probably a good chance we weren't saved. <laughs> if we have no desire to please the Lord, then we have no, no real salvation. So we're going to be judged based off of our lives for Christ. But also during this time, he will reward his servants. In Revelation 21, 1-7, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And even in Revelation 22, 1, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb in the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were of the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no no night there, and they need no candle, neither light or the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And then also, during this particular point in time, and then the last trumpet, he will destroy the destroyers of the earth. Revelation twenty fourteen to 15. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Second death. And this may sound cruel, but it's something that we know must happen because of the sinfulness and wickedness of man. When we, when we see somebody that is, is murdering people or, or raping people or even just petty crimes like stealing, we want to see justice for that. When we, when we were robbed, when we had our house robbed, and... I don't know about afterwards, but during those days after, you know, we, we had found out that we were robbed, was there, was there any comfort in that? Did you, did you find any time where you were like, well, you know, whatever, it's just stuff? I was more scared. I would have bells on every door. You were afraid of them coming back, yeah. right? Yeah. So we wanted to see justice served for those people that stole from us, right? That was just stealing. And they didn't kill anybody, and they, they didn't harm anybody, but, but we wanted to see justice served. We could have slept a lot better at night knowing that the people that stole from us were in jail, or at least were held captive, you know, for what they have done. Uh, that we, that we, they got justice, and we, we were able to see them get justice for what they did. And, and, and I believe God's put that on our hearts for a reason, because God has that same desire for those that go against him. And these people are going to be doing far worse than just stealing. I mean, they're going to be killing people on the streets, specifically Christians. They're going to be, they're going to be raping, and, and they're, going to be, they're going to be doing things that are, that are just ungodly and, and, and not right. The world today has this backwards mentality of blaming those who maybe harvest from forests or use fossil fuels or don't recycle um, as the ultimate problem of our earth not 
not being right. They think that we are the cause of the earth's destruction. But the Bible makes it clear that we are to steward the earthly things God has given to us for his use and that we're to use his creation to worship him rather than the creation itself. Sadly, many worship the creation. And so because of this, they are the real problem with destroying the earth. And in this day, in this particular time, when the trumpet sounds, they will be destroyed because of what they've done. And then verse 19, lastly, it says, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his uh, testament, and, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. God's ark of his testament, which could be related to his covenant, his, the ark of the covenant as well, that was built during the time of Moses, it makes a sudden appearance in this verse, which supposedly details visions that explain the church's spiritual conflict, which, which will be talked about heavily in the next chapter. Uh, with even more symbolism and confirmed prophecies of the Old Testament. But God makes revelations of all the Old Testament promises through this book. He, he, he reveals all those things that were, that were once shown in, in the Old Testament. Now they're shown again here in, in the end times, including, for instance, the tree of life. In Revelation 22, 14, uh, which we read, it says, Blessed are they that, that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city, um, or, or rather, Revelation 22.2. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manners of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The, the, this tree of life differs from you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And I'm not going to go into too much details of this tree quite yet, because I will save it for when we get into those chapters, but... It has appeared before in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Though it seemed to be kind of just glanced over in Genesis, there's certainly an importance to it. And the Ark of the Covenant, which, which God made before Moses, shares the same importance in Revelation as it did before. So here... God is revealing, giving a little sneak peek to John, so to speak, of what is to come because the church needs to be prepared for what things are about to befall, which is going to be talked about in chapter 12. Any questions? The war against the dragon, the war against the dragon and so much more. 